Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello and welcome in to the Fog.net podcast. Michael Swain here, the Kansas Beat Ride for 24-7 Sports. And as I am joined every Sunday by Kevin Flaherty, a national writer for 24-7 Sports. We're going to break down KU's 52-42 loss to Oklahoma. A lot to dissect in what was an interesting game. But, Kevin, for you, let's start here. Saturday, Sunday, weekend. How's it all going so far? You know, it, it's actually going uh, going pretty well. Uh, had a had a chance after the game to go see uh, go see my nephew play some soccer. So it was a uh, it, it was a good day and, and a good weekend. I think. How about you? Yeah, it was it was good. You know, I, I went down to Oklahoma for the sure. for the game. Went down Friday, um, covered late night remotely, and then yeah, drove back last night. Um, got back late, but can't complain. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, where should we start? There's so many different ways where we could go with this. Um, I guess let's just go here in terms of your own expectation for the game. Um, we really didn't talk about it much last week, but what was kind of your expectation in the game and going in and, and what did you think? Because for me, it was, a, it was a little bit of what I expected. I thought it would be a, a game that goes over. You know, I don't even know what the spread was before the game. I didn't really care. It's going to go over. <laughs> they um, annihilated the spread, but, you know, yeah, or not yeah. the spread, but yeah. yeah, annihilated the over. Yeah. I, I didn't expect to this degree, I didn't expect 94 points total, but like, what'd you expect and what'd you think? Yeah, I thought Oklahoma was due for some positive regression. You know, when you look at Dylan Gabriel getting back, when you look at all the heat that they took, not just from the Texas game, but even the week before that against TCU, it, it seemed like the sort of game where Oklahoma was, was going to bounce back. And I think even beyond that, you know, there were some things that were working against Kansas a little bit. I think, Oklahoma was able to see how Kansas defended tempo against TCU. You know, we talked about Kansas sort of doing the the hockey line changes with the mm-hmm. defensive line over the course of that game. And so Oklahoma, you know, they, they scouted it well and they didn't sub. And, and so Kansas didn't have a chance to, to move guys in and out. Even beyond that, I think that if you would have asked me before the game, 
what matchup worries you the most, it would have been that group of Oklahoma wide receivers against Kansas's defensive backs. And so with Oklahoma playing at tempo, with Dylan Gabriel back and playing really well, and and with that group of wide receivers against Kansas's defensive backs, I, I think I thought that, that Oklahoma was going to put up quite a few points. Now, 700 yards of total offense – Maybe not so much. I, I don't know. What what did you think, Michael, be, being there? And what did you think kind of going in, too? Well, it's something I kind of hit on, you know, in the pregame kind of breakdown analysis thing. And maybe I didn't frame it the right way when I was writing it. But I did think the pace of play would be fascinating. You know, would this game be played at Oklahoma's pace or at Kansas's pace? And I think through the first six games of the season, you know, maybe five and a half, if you can include half of the TCU game. KU made other teams play at their pace, and I think that's really impressive, and it's why they were able to have so much success. And I feel like I, I keep harping on this in the various platforms we have, video yesterday, the articles, but KU had a recipe for success, and they went to it every week through the first five weeks, and they started 5-0 and and 5-1 and because of it, because they knew what they were, and they really followed a specific plan each game and each game looked a little bit different, right? The defense wasn't great in the first part of the season. And then the offense wasn't great um, while the defense picked up the slack. And I think Saturday was the first time that it all kind of unraveled to some degree. And you say that, and yet KU covered the spread. If you want to take the closing line of 10 and a half, yeah. like it's the context of it all is so fascinating because this is a game that I think going in and the way the first couple of drives played out, you thought, okay, you know, maybe this is going to be a game where, if KU can get that one stop, maybe they can make this a game and, and potentially win. Going in, I was fascinated because Oklahoma had not lost back-to-back home games since 2014. And 2014 was the first time they had ever done it, period. So you're looking at if they lost this game, second time in program history that they had ever lost back-to-back home games, right? History wasn't on Kansas's side. But I think let's start with just big picture on defense because I think it all kind of unraveled at the line of scrimmage. You mentioned it. They couldn't sub. And I was looking right there, and Oklahoma used 18 players, and that's including six offensive linemen and the quarterback. So they used 11 skill position players. That's it. Like, they just didn't sub. And that really hurt KU. And what you've seen is the way that KU has mitigated its talent gap in the trenches is making sure that the players that are out there are fresh. Those guys weren't fresh. You know, Sam Burt's out there for six plays – and all of a sudden, then Oklahoma's in the red zone, and then they can carve open a huge hole. And I think everything kind of unraveled for there, right? The defensive line got tired. Then all of a sudden, big holes started to show up. And the linebackers, who for most of the season have been fitting a gap that is probably their width and maybe half a width on each side, all of a sudden, they're having to cover a gap that is oh, their width times three. Yeah. And it's really hard to tackle when you have to cover – a full body length to your left and a full body length to your right. And that's why I think you saw 15 missed tackles in the game is because all of a sudden those gaps started to show up. Oklahoma skill position players are that good. They can make guys miss. And then you look also, right, the safeties all of a sudden had to come down. And if you look at the tackles each game, I think it shows you where the opposition got before they were tackled, obviously, right? Hmm. Kenny Logan led the team in tackles with 14. That shows you how far – those Oklahoma offensive players were getting before Kansas player could tackle them. So I think for me, like if you want to look at where things went wrong, it starts at the line of scrimmage because that's where KU has been pretty good and and better than in recent years through five or six games. And then it really just unraveled on Saturday. 
Yeah, and, and obviously we'll talk about the offense in a bit, but this is a lot of why we talk about complementary football, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I saw some people saying, why Why are you running the ball? Kansas isn't having success on first and second down. We well, are running the ball because you're trying to run some clock. You're trying to give your defense a chance to rest against an up-tempo team. You're trying to have longer drives a little bit and, and you know, help that defense out. And, and I thought – you know, for all the defense's failings, I thought one of the areas where the game changed quite a bit was that stretch kind of in the second quarter or so where Kansas kept getting stopped offensively and and not just stopped, but in some cases stopped quickly. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, that defense, which is tired, has had to deal with tempo, hasn't been able to sub, they're back out there on the field. And, and I think, you know, being down – uh, I guess you could say at least half a guy with Lonnie Phelps, you know, and a guy who who did play a little bit, but certainly, you know, according to his dad on Twitter and everything, you know, was banged up, wasn't anywhere near 100%. You know, Phelps would have really helped at, at 100%, I think. But even beyond that, I think that without Phelps and with them being tired, Dylan Gabriel, I mean, he he could have been back there reading books sometimes because he really had that much time mm-hmm. to throw, and he had that kind of comfort level. And when you give Oklahoma's wide receivers that much time and that much room and everything to get open, I, I think that, that that that's just a recipe for disaster. And and so it, it's it's easy to say, you know, 52 points, I think 701 yards of total offense allowed. It's easy to put all of that on the defense and just say the defense wasn't good enough. And to be quite frank, it, it wasn't good enough. But I also think that the offense bears at least part of that burden because, you know, you really needed to kind of hold on to the ball. You really needed to have some of those drives at a point where the defense was maybe getting a little bit gassed. And -hmm. and like you were saying, it wasn't that any of us went into this game thinking, hey, if Dylan Gabriel plays, Kansas's defense is going to shut Oklahoma down. It was that you needed the opportunistic stop here and there to, you know, to kind of keep that thing within arm's reach. And and Kansas wasn't really – able to get those for for a variety of reasons but the defense was was obviously the main part of that yeah and you mentioned Lonnie Phelps I thought Lance Leipold's answer about it post game was pretty fascinating he said that pregame he was told Lonnie's not playing he, he is unavailable he cannot play Lonnie says no that's not true I'm gonna give it a go when I can and I think he played 15 snaps out of the 100 and it Lonnie Phelps playing and not playing would not have changed this game it would sure Oklahoma's getting the ball out too quickly. And I don't think – like you could have put Micah Parsons on KU's defensive line, and it probably wouldn't have changed a ton either because you just look at how quickly Oklahoma was able to get the ball out. You know, KU has played soft coverage all year, and this has yeah. been – they are as a team. They are a team that's going to play soft coverage, some zone, a lot of like the cover four stuff. Basically, they're just saying no big plays, and they're going to keep yep. it in front of them. Oklahoma said, sounds great. Our sweet wide receivers are going to take it catch it at 10, 12 yards and then get yards after the catch too. So it's like a boxing saying, right? Styles make fights. And yeah. this is just contrasting styles. Um, and it's a bad matchup. It's like when you, you know, K basketball, for example, right? You think about when Dave McCormick's out there or was, I should say past tense now, but you know, when you had a shooting five, right? Like one of the Groves brothers back in the NCAA tournament two years ago, that's just a bad matchup. 
And that's what it was for KU this time around, right? You look at what Oklahoma's strengths are, up-tempo, great wide receivers, and great offensive line. That's just a bad matchup for KU, right? You can look at Iowa State, and you can look at Duke, and you can look at West Virginia and Houston, the games KU's won. Those are teams that are more stylistically maybe similar to Kansas, where they're not super high up-tempo, you know, where they're running 3.3 plays per minute. You know, those other teams are slower and it allows KU to, to shorten the game. And I think that's what happened on Saturday. And I don't think, you know, the defense was bad. Um, it, it wasn't good, but I also am not going to sit here and say, this is the end of the world. This defense is awful. It's not going to come back. Yeah. It's just one of those where I think you kind of got to scrap it, throw it away and say, yeah, that was a bad game. You know, KU allowed its most yards since 2015. Um, just a bad game and a bad matchup for the defense. I don't think this is anything where you look at this unit and say, well, you know, KU's going to give up 50 points every game. They're going to give up 500 plus yards every game. No, they're not. They're not. Like you look at Baylor this next week, that's going to be a much better stylistic matchup, right? Baylor will have the advantage in the trenches. They will be better. They will be more physical. But stylistically, KU will be able to sub and do more of the things that allowed them to shorten a lot of these games. And so for me, I think just defensively, you kind of scrap and say, you know what? It snowballed. wasn't great. I think your point about the offense is spot on. For me, the pivotal point in the game where the game shifted, Cave gets that fumble, it's a tie game. Yeah. Right? The first fumble, it's a tie game. They go three and out. That's where the game, you're like, okay, that's it. If Cave was going to win that game, they take that fumble and they go score a touchdown and take the lead. Right? That's what they would did. Against, that's what they did against Houston, right? After the Kenny Logan interception that flipped that game. They go and score a touchdown. In these games, those are the moments that KU has won in the past, and they, they didn't this week. So I think for me, just defensively, you just kind of scrap it and say, well, Oklahoma's really good. They're going to come back, right? Dylan Gabriel's a good quarterback. Bad matchup. Oh, well, there's next week. So I, I don't know if maybe you agree or disagree, but that's kind of where I stand with it. No, I agree. And, and I think, you know, there are people who will say, well, people just need to go up tempo against Kansas now. But up-tempo is where Oklahoma lives. You know what I mean? Like, it's different than you installing something over the course of a week and saying, hey, let's let's go fast this week versus a team that that's what they do. Yeah. You know, that that's their system. They, they have worked not just, you know, that week, but throughout the entire offseason, even in conditioning, you know, you condition a certain way for your offense to be able – to, to get that many plays off and everything. I would be interested, and I know we say this every week, this isn't an Oklahoma podcast, but I would be interested to talk to, to Joey Helmer, and obviously we'll see him this week. I would be interested to talk to him about whether Oklahoma subs a little bit more when it goes tempo regularly and whether that was an adjustment after watching the way that Kansas defended TCU's tempo. Because yeah. that's... That's something I can't answer myself, but it was, it definitely was was a factor in the game. I don't think that you could argue that it wasn't that Kansas wasn't able to to make those shifts and make those changes and make those substitutions. Yeah, and no, it, that's what Oklahoma is. I, I I looked at it in the Kansas State game; they played nineteen guys. Like they just consistently yeah. don't play a, a ton of players, and, and this is including right. You know, a guy comes in for one snap, that counts. But, like, yeah. in general, these are guys that aren't like – you're not like KU where offensively they're rotating. Jared Casey's in, then Fairchild, then Cardell, and then Grimm, yeah. and then Skinner, right? It's different. And so I think for me when I look offensively for KU, you mentioned the first down stuff. I thought it was super interesting because, you know, 
I thought K ran the ball halfway decent. Yep. And you look at the first down numbers. If you had to guess, Kevin, what was the split of run to pass? KU had 30 first downs all game. 30 first down plays, I should say. How many run and pass do you think they had? I'd say probably two quarters run. Is that or two quarters? Uh two uh two thirds run. 50-50. Wow. It, it didn't it didn't feel that way on watching, did it? No, it didn't. It felt like they I mean, honestly, to me, it felt like almost they I would say opposite. It felt like sometimes you're passing more, especially early yep. in the game. I thought what they came out and tried to do was okay. Oklahoma knows we're going to try and shorten the game and run the ball. Jason yeah. Bean, let's go throw and let's go pass. And eh. I'd be interested to see how that split out by quarter, though, too, because mm, it could have been know. once Kansas got down, you know, you started throwing a little bit more, or once you saw that that Oklahoma was was gearing up for first down run, you started throwing it more. But it definitely felt like to start the game and on those first several drives you know, Kansas was, was trying to run the ball on first down and then, you know, was getting itself. And I think, you know, talking about the offense now as we are, I think one of the points where I felt like this isn't necessarily sustainable, despite the fact that it was 14-14, was Kansas was getting behind the chains. And I, I know that that's, you can call it a coaching cliche, you can call it whatever else, but it, it's just a matter of fact. Third mm-hmm. and two is different than third and eight, and not just because one is longer to get, but because at third and two, Andy Kotelnicki's entire playbook is still wide open, whereas in third and eight, you know, that thing is siphoned off to a, a certain number of plays. And so I think that was one of the areas, mm-hmm. and you did have, you know, a coverage bust or two. You did have some big third-down conversions on third and long, but I think that that was the point when I was watching where I was thinking, gosh, KU's defense is going to have to start ramping up mm-hmm. because Kansas can't keep converting these third and six pluses. They just they can't keep putting themselves behind the chains and, and continue to have offensive success. Exactly. You mentioned that, right? KU converted two third downs all game more than five yards, and they faced, yep. quick math, they were two for seven on third downs that were longer than five or five yards or longer on, on third and short, they were three or four. Yep. That, that right there is the game. And then you want to look at the average distance to go 7.2 yards for KU 4.2 yards for Oklahoma and Oklahoma was nine of 12 on third and short. So I just, you look at third down and, and the success rate early on the early downs it's just not been there. And that's two weeks in a row now where I think that, you know, it really hasn't been there. And let's get into the Jason Bean conversation. Sure. Because we can come back to the run game in a second, because I think it'll tie into it a little bit. what do you think of the way that he played? I've seen some mixed messages. I've seen some people who thought it was a bad performance and awful. And I thought some that said, man, criticizing him is unfair in this. You know, where do you feel like you stand on that? eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. 
With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know, I I think Jason Bean is a little feast or famine, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that you get some big plays with him in there. I think that you get some situations where maybe he doesn't make plays that that seem somewhat routine. And, And maybe it's unfair to even call them routine, because you were watching a, a guy who through the first few weeks was in the Heisman Trophy conversation. Mm-hmm. And so saying they were routine for Jalen Daniels does not necessarily mean, hey, that's a routine play. But I thought there was some indecision on his part in some key moments. Um, I thought that he had a couple sort of little flare-out passes knocked down at the line because he kind of stared the guy down and, mm-hmm. and took a long time to get the ball out of his hands. Whereas if he had just kind of whipped that thing out real quick, you know, it, it would have gotten out and, and there wouldn't have been an issue. Uh, I think there are a lot of things that, that Jason Bean does does really well. And, and it's fascinating to see sort of his leadership style versus Jalen Daniels, too. I mean, I hate I almost hate bringing up basketball when we're talking about football, but you started it. So uh, I'm going to say, you know looking at the leadership styles and it's not that one is wrong or one is right. Jalen Daniels is a little bit more like Devonte Graham, right? Like he's so boisterous, you know, he, mm-hmm. he makes a couple big threes. The entire field house is going nuts. He's, you know, jumping around his teammates are elevated. You know, Frank Mason was a terrific leader and he was like this all the time up 20 down 20 big sequence, whatever, he was very steady. And I think that you get that from Jason Bean. And I think a lot of times, you know, teams respond better one way or, or another. I Obviously, it's too early to, to make any determinations on this one. But I definitely felt like there were points in the early games when things would be going wrong and Daniels would elevate his teammates mm-hmm. with sort of that boisterous style. And... and I think that that's one thing, but generally speaking, you know, I didn't think Bean had a bad game. I did think he left plays on the field. And and I think that in a game like this, those are amplified that much more, not to tie everything back to the defense, but when you give up 52 points, you kind of have to be perfect to put up 55, or you have to play at a super high level to put up 55. And so to put up 42 – Obviously, most people are going to feel like, well, our quarterback probably did his job. I still think there were some moments within that that, you know, could have been handled better, you know, 
quicker decisions made things done a little differently. What did you think? Yeah, I, I thought that I want to be careful. Um, <laughs> no, because I think I think he was good. Yeah, but I'm gonna I, we're gonna keep doing basketball stuff, I guess. Because for me, it felt like you know there are players who are really good at making three threes in like the first half of a game, but when yeah. it comes to like the under four and it's crunch time, can they make that three again? That's what Jason Bean felt like for me on Saturday. The big moments when KU needed the quarterback to make a throw or make a run mm, left left some to be desired, in my opinion. You look at some of those runs where he slides short, like two yards short yeah. on third down. It's also hard, though, because if he gets hurt and he gets cracked, like he almost got targeted on one of those runs. Yeah. That, was a, that was almost a really, really bad – like what happened to Dylan Gabriel against TCU is what almost happened to Jason Bean right there. And that's worst case scenario because you're calling on 18 year old Ethan Vasco to come in the game. Who's been on campus since June. Right. Yeah. And that's nothing against Ethan Vasco. He's going to be a really good football player for Kansas when he's 20 years old or when yeah. he's 21 years old, maybe not when he's 18. And so I wonder if there's some indecision there for Bean, where he knows the situation, even if the coaches don't have to tell him, Jason Bean is a smart dude. He knows the situation that he's in. If he gets hurt, it's it's game over. And if he gets hurt for a long time, it's tough to think about a path to victory for Kansas with such a young quarterback. I wonder if that played into his head. Because you just look at some of those plays where it, it's like, could, could he lean forward and, and go for an extra yard or two? Could he try and evade a defender? I feel like there were a couple of times where I think he just went down a step or two early and it just happened those steps maybe could have resulted in a new first down for Kansas and instead of punting it back to Oklahoma. So I think you look at those moments. I think you look at the the throws to the outside, right? Um, obviously the interception, man, what a great play from that Oklahoma player. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. Just a, a really good play. But you look at the outside. I've got pull up the numbers here, right? You know, he goes two of six – or uh, sorry, three of seven on the outside of the right. He goes two of four on the outside of the left. And then he's really good through the middle of the field, only completed uh, three passes all day. So it's a little bit like on the outside, those tough throws that Jalen Daniels is able to make. Yeah. I don't know if Bean has a touch on those throws. He's, he's like a you know a fastball pitcher. We keep doing these sports references for other sports. He's like a fastball pitcher. He can't really gear it down. And I think that's what happened on that interception. I think there were just other moments when you thought, mm, the touch, the feel, does he have that? And if he doesn't, it's fine. Jason Bean is still a good quarterback, and I still think KU can win games with him. But I think in this specific game, in this environment, against this offense, or you know, flipped where KU's defense against that offense, you just need him to be perfect. And it felt like in some of those really big moments, he wasn't that. And again, this is not to criticize him. I think overall – it was a good game. You look at the numbers, right? I think it. this is a game that you can say, you know, Jason Bean did his job. Jason Bean did enough for Kansas to win. But he wasn't perfect. And it just felt like those moments where he wasn't perfect were just some of those you-have-to-have moments. And this isn't to say Jalen Daniels would have been perfect either in those moments. But yeah. it's just hard to wonder some of those throws you think, man, Jalen has made that throw a lot this season. And we just haven't seen Jason Bean do it much in his Kansas career so far. So 
I think for me, it's all the bean conversation has to be nuanced because I think he was good enough for Kansas to win. I think he had a, a good game overall, but just in those crunch time moments, I, you just were like, ah, just want a little bit more. So yeah. that's what I got. I don't know. Any other thoughts on bean before we go back to the, I want to talk about the, the rushing attack too, but any more thoughts on bean? No. And, and real quick bean thought that segs into the rushing stuff nicely. I mean, you talked about the potential of, of him getting injured. I, I think you've seen that potentially with Kansas's play calling too. You know, I, I think that, you have a guy who's got home run speed mm. as a runner, and he had 10 carries yesterday, which sounds like a lot, but a few of those were scramble plays, and a few of those were sacks in college. You know, sacks count as rushing attempts. And, and so when you when you look at, at all of that, you know, sort of put together, I guess one of those was a sack, but a couple of those were a couple of those were uh were scramble plays as well. So Kansas, where it ran option with Jalen Daniels to a certain level or whatever else, or, or did certain things, maybe you don't have quite as much, you know, of the quarterback specific run game with Jason Bean, which plays to his strengths. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you, you aren't allowed to, you aren't really able to do that because, you know, he takes one of those carries gets cracked by a linebacker. And like you said, Kansas is on its third string quarterback. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, exactly. And I, one more thought, actually, I'm looking at the receiving stats. It's pretty wild. Like you, uh, So I'm just going to run through real quick because I'm, I'm not sure yeah. if I have checked out. Mason Fairchild leads the team, six catches, 106 yards. Then Lawrence Arnold, five catches, 113 yards. Then it falls off a cliff. Then yeah. it's Luke Grimm, one catch, 19 yards. Jared Casey, one catch, nine yards. Tory Lachlan, one catch, eight yards. Quentin Skinner, one catch, seven yards. Devin Neal, one catch, three yards. This wide receiving core that has been so diverse and so spread out, right? You think about multiple guys catching passes in games, right? There were games where five players or six players caught multiple passes. Oklahoma really took away a lot of that. And I think that was also a part of it in terms of the passing attack where they really did a good job of making sure Grimm wasn't able to get open on third down or Skinner wasn't able to get open down the field. And on the, on the topic of the rushing attack, what do you think of the way that they use the running backs, the rotation, obviously like you want to rely on your depth that you have. Cause even with Daniel Hoshaw jr. Out, you have a lot of depth still, right? You still have behind Devin Neal. You still have Sevion Morrison. You still have Kai Thomas, Tory Lachlan to some degree too. Um, even though he's used more of a, a gadget guy in the running back room, like, but what do you think of the use of it? Because it felt like it was Devin Neal in the first quarter, and then the second quarter they kind of got away from it. Yeah, and it seemed like Devin Neal had some success, and this could have maybe been a game. And I realized, like you said, you've got running back depth. You want to use it. And I realized the value in keeping a running back fresh. But with the way he was playing, it did feel like one of those games where maybe in previous years Devin would have gotten 20 carries, 25 carries, and you would have kind of leaned into mm -hmm. the hot hand a little bit because when you looked at when you looked at Morrison, when you looked at, at Kai Thomas, you know you weren't having the same success rates there as what you were with with Devin Neal. And, and so I do think, you know, it, it's interesting. It, it's good to use your depth. Obviously, all all of those guys can play. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no doubt oh, about yeah. that. But I also think that there are certain games when certain guys play better than others do. 
and you kind of want to lean into that a little bit. I mean, there have been a couple games where Savion Morrison's been pretty darn good, and um, I, I think that there are going to be games where Kai Thomas is playing better than Savion Morrison, and you want to kind of lean in that way. I thought Saturday with the game plan and with how much Kansas probably wanted to run the ball to to control tempo and, and make sure the defense wasn't out there and everything, I thought it was the sort of situation where, you know, Devin maybe maybe you push up his carries quite a bit with the with the way he was playing. What did you think? Yeah, and so oh, man, I spent a lot of time thinking about this when I was driving home last night. Yeah, in case you're wondering what I what <laughs> I spend my time thinking about when I'm driving five hours. After the game, I was very confused, and I just couldn't f- figure out why this wasn't a twenty carry game for yeah. Devin Neal. And it kind of hit me. Do you want to put 20 carries on him right now when Kai Thomas ha- you know has talent but has been great? You know, Andy Kolnick, he talked in practice or talked in the media during this week saying, hey, you know, Sevion and any player on offensive. I asked about Sevion, he turned it into a whole offensive thing, but saying they have to show it in practice every week. And I wonder if the coaches are like, we can't put 25 carries on Devin Neal right now because if he gets hurt, then all of a sudden you're like, you're looking at Kai Thomas, who's been inconsistent, you know, Sevion Morrison, who hasn't really done it a ton yet at the power five level, even if he has flashed, right? He has flashed and looked really, really good. That kind of clicked for me where I kind of thought, oh, you want to know what? I think I maybe understand what they were trying to do. They didn't want to run Devin Neal into the ground here, you know, in week seven. When you still have to go to Baylor next week, yes, you get a bye week, but you just don't want to risk the chance of, A, him getting blown up, him getting tired, and then when you get tired, your pad level might come up a little bit and all of a sudden you get blown up, and and that's something that can happen. So during the game, I was very confused, and I didn't really understand it. But as I thought about it more, I I get it. It makes sense. It's a strategic decision, I feel like, for the long term, which maybe sometimes, you know, myself and just people in general, you get caught up in the moment. And so sure. I think for me, the, the rushing attack as a whole, I thought they could have gotten more, right? This is an Oklahoma defense that was allowing six yards per carry in Big 12 play. Okay, you got 4.7, right? A modest number. You, you look at that and you say, you want to know what? You can live with that. If K does that for the rest of the season, you feel, okay, that, you know, that's fine. You know, but it's just not what other teams have done to Oklahoma. And that part of it just made me feel like, hmm. And again, game state is important, right? You're down two scores, you're down three scores. You can't go sit there and run option or outside zone, you know, on first and second down and bleed, you know, a minute off the play clock. So I, I think so much of this game is so nuanced. But for you, Kevin, like, how does this change now? your outlook on the season, because I don't know. I think I said earlier, it doesn't change much for me. Um, but how does this alter your your perspective on, on the rest of the year for KU? Yeah, I think, you know, and, and to your point really quick, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think, too, if you were to say, what would you rather have five more carries for Devin Neal last, yesterday or Kai Thomas being unlocked for the rest of the season, because we know that that's the way it goes sometimes for running backs. You know, they can be struggling, running into the line, you know, not getting as much as they can. 
in a couple plays build their confidence mm-hmm. and bam, they're right there. And Kai Thomas is a really good football player. You know, I, I saw him in high school. I watched him at Minnesota. He, he hasn't had a chance to break out yet. And so maybe getting some of those carries, you know, to him, especially in that situation where you say, Hey, maybe we don't win today, but it would be worth it to us to have Kai Thomas be Kai Thomas, all caps, you know, for the rest of the year, you know, may, maybe that's worth it. I, I think when you look for at the outlook for the rest of the season, I, I think it, it doesn't change my overall outlook. The one thing I was really fascinated by for this game was to see how Jason Bean played mm-hmm. because it's one thing to, to come in cold. And I, I'm not saying that, you know, he, he was terrific against TCU. I, I'm not taking anything away from that. But TCU would have really scouted Jalen Daniels for that. Yeah. And, and they would have spent most of their prep time on him still to come off the bench at half and, and you know, put up almost 300 yards in a half and four touchdowns it is special. But I wanted to see how he did when a defense had a chance to, to basically say, okay, Jason Bean's going to be the guy. Here's how we prepare for him. How will he play? And I thought he played pretty well. And, and, you know, you, I think both of us were kind of like, he was very good. Kansas needed him to be great. And he wasn't quite at at that great point. But I thought you made a good point when you said Kansas can win games with this version of Jason Bean. And, And I agree with you. And so looking at the outlook for the rest of the season, I don't think this result changes a whole lot. Like I said, I, I figured Oklahoma was going to come out sort of all guns blazing and everything based on, on everything. And and they did. And, you know, Kansas losing by 10 doesn't really impact to add Oklahoma doesn't really impact me that much. I I think there's still some winnable games on the schedule and and Kansas has a, has a chance to, to stack those together. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think for me, the only thing that would change my perspective is more injuries. Yeah. Um, three weeks in a row. Now you've lost a starter and, and look, Kobe Bryant, is a good player. I think that as the game went on, I think the defensive backs as a whole just got worn down and having mm-hmm. to run back and cover and then run up to line of scrimmage and run back and like that wears on you. And so I think as the game went on, they didn't play as well as they could have. Um, he's a good player and missing him is going to be bad. Um, you know, Tom Berryhill banged up Lonnie Phelps banged up. Rich Miller just played 85 snaps. They need the bye week really bad. Yeah. They really need the bye week. And the issue is you got to go play Baylor now, who's really physical. So I think you look at the sprint to the finish, right? Tech, Oklahoma State, you know, uh, Kansas State. I don't think they win against Texas. Texas looks pretty good, even though Iowa State kept it close. There's a win in there. KU will win one more game this year. I feel pretty confident saying that. The only thing that would make me change my mind there is if there's another kind of major injury that that happens and and on the Kobe Bryant note you know I was walking out after the game and he was sitting there on his phone you know he didn't go to the hospital um he just had a boot on his ankle so it didn't seem like anything that's like super devastating gruesome or anything like that you know he was sitting there just on his phone guys were chatting with him so it doesn't seem like something like Daniel Hyshaw where he got taken to the hospital after as soon as that happened right very different so um, I don't think he'll play this next week, maybe after the bye week. Who knows? We'll see what Lance Leipold says. But I, I said it after the game. I think there's another win in it for this team somewhere this year. And look, 
even if there isn't, um, I it's still a successful season. And Kevin, I have to give you a hard time now. <laughs> I, was, I was requested by a fan. Hold on, you open my Twitter DMs real quick. Um, so uh, this person asked, can you ask Kevin if he feels responsible for jinxing KU? A couple weeks ago, he brought 2009 when Todd Reesing and Jake oh, got hurt. And now <laughs> you see what's happening to KU. Um, do you, would you want to take responsibility? I will give you a chance to uh, clear your name uh, <laughs> before we wrap. Well, I'm trying to remember. Like, I remember the segment, but I knocked on wood, didn't I? Like, I think I reached behind the and knocked on wood. And so I should have protected myself. If I didn't knock on wood, I'm really sorry. That's 100% on me. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it was looking back. I, I mean, funny is the wrong word for it, but, you know, saying that. 2009 all went downhill because of all these disastrous injuries and all these different things and, and saying, well, you know, that's, that's not going to happen this time. You know, I really, you know, I, I really hope that I did knock on wood when I said that, because it, it is one of those things we've talked on this show so much about KU's depth, right. And the way that they've been able to utilize that depth and, the way that they've been able to roll through six defensive tackles and, and do different things like that. I think one of the things that we're finding though is at certain positions and, and certain guys, you, you can't replace them. And it's funny. You were talking about Devin Neal earlier. I meant to say this. I thought Kansas missed Daniel Highshaw yesterday because I oh. thought that, you know, when Highshaw is, is getting other carries and, and when he's getting the carries, um, uh, that aren't going to Devin Neal or even getting most of the carries, you know, I thought his physicality and his ability to make yardage after contact would have been really valuable yesterday. And, and so you look at that, you look at Jalen Daniels, you look at Lonnie Phelps, you know, not really playing at a, at a high level physically. Um, you look at Kobe Bryant, Kansas is losing guys at, certain guys and at certain positions where Kansas really couldn't necessarily afford to, to get guys hurt if it was going to continue tracking on that. And so yep. it's uh, it's one of those things where, you know, you never want anybody to get injured, but I think you're at this point, you're really, really hoping that, that everybody kind of stays healthy the rest of the way. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the bye week will be big. I think the timing of it, you almost wish it came this week, like KU was going to the bye week this week. But again, they'll play Baylor. We'll have a preview podcast for you all middle of the week. Um, this week, thank you as always for listening to the Fog.net podcast. If you like what you heard and you're listening to it on the podcast platforms, please leave us a rating and review. If you are watching on the YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Hit the like button on the video. Again, lots of YouTube content coming out. We got our post game wrap stuff we're doing. We're doing the midweek podcast. We've got this on Sunday, press conference stuff. Um, a lot going on. Basketball season starting up too now. Like my head's starting to spin a little bit here. So um, crazy times ahead, but also exciting times, right? You don't know what's going to happen each week with KU football. So it's always exciting. Kevin, thank you as always for jumping on the podcast. And everyone, we will talk to you here in the middle of this week. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.